in select theaters this fall. All right. Uh, we are going to be uh, kicking up some small groups the Sunday and week following Easter. And so if you're interested in hosting, participating in, helping with a small group, a community group, please send an email to um, brett at msbchurch.com or office. We'll get the memo. But we're real excited about doing this. And I know it's still kind of on the front end of things returning to a little bit of normalcy. Uh, so a lot of the groups are going to be meeting maybe outside the back porch, front porch, between uh, the front end of April and the end of May. The weather should be pretty, should be pretty good, although I guess there's a chance of an ice storm in, uh, in April. I mean, who, who knows? It's getting weird around here. But anyways, uh, just be mindful of that. I'm going to go ahead and invite you to stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. We're going to start off. Uh, by taking a look at a passage I'm going to reference a little bit later, and I know some of you may not be so familiar with the story. It's John chapter 11, where Jesus rather famously uh, goes to Bethany, and a friend of his named Lazarus has died, and he's talked to Martha, and Jesus says to Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. A little bit later in the story, Mary enters into the picture, and we'll pick it up there in verse 32. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How's that for a welcome to the service? When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. If you've never memorized a verse, there it is, verse 35, Jesus wept, you got it. So the Jews said, see how he loved him, but some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to him, unwrap him and let him go. May God bless for his word. You may be seated. Uh, do you ever have one of those seasons in your life where you feel that uh, the losses have been sort of numerous? And maybe the losses don't just feel heavy, they actually are heavy. Uh, Life is filled with loss because if you have anything in any way, eventually you're going to lose. It's the nature of the world in which we live. In fact, loss is so routine that we oftentimes don't notice the loss because of the routineness of the loss. Uh, a few weeks ago, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, I did something amazingly, wonderfully kind for my wife. I raked the leaves in the front yard. 
That's the kind of marriage we have. I credit myself with that and let her know that she should notice. And so anyways, the snow had melted and the ice had melted and probably I should have raked all the leaves up a couple of weeks earlier. But now the leaves are a little bit wet, I rake it up and it all looks pretty good. And then the next day, guess what happened? Yard is covered with leaves. And if you all have that experience, I mean, green leaves falling off the trees. I guess it had something to do with them being covered in ice and snow and all the rest. And, and it melted. And the very next day, the yard is once again covered with leaves. Well, I go back uh, Saturday and I decide to rake the yard again. And Gina, wonderfully, she says, I'll, I'll help you. In fact, I was going to do it without you. And it's just wonderful. And, and we have this moment where we're raking the leaves together. And I'm thinking a couple of three, three thoughts. One, I'm so happy to be married to the person to whom I married. Second thought I had was, when's the last time mom helped me to rake the leaves? And that, no, I didn't really have that. But then I think a little bit about, I'm going to have to do this again. And so I tell Gina, we're going to rake these leaves, and then I'm going to have to turn around next week. And she said, that's fine, because I'll be gone skiing with the kids, but you'll be here and you can handle it. Isn't that wonderful? But you do something, and you know as soon as you've done it, a lot of times, you're going to have to do it again. As soon as the whole yard is clean, you start immediately losing ground. Pretty soon, we're going to be mowing our yards again because it's that time of the year. And I know as soon as the yard is mowed, I'm going to start losing. I'm going to turn around and do it again. You fill your belly, and six hours later, if not sooner, you've already started cooking again. It's the nature of life to be building sandcastles that get knocked down, then you build them again, and they get knocked down. There's this routine of loss. Sometimes we don't notice the loss because it's so small, but then on occasion there are things that seem a little bit out of the routine. And that's been the case for a great many of us because we've literally lost routines. Some of you, you lost a work routine. You lost your job. Or your your routine changed and you started working from home and that was very different. And you lost work because your routine changed. Or some of you, you, you were like me and you got out of the exercise routine. I didn't want to get sick and... And I didn't want to turn around and give it to my wife or to my family, my parents, them moving and all the rest. And so I lost fitness. I looked in the mirror the other day and I had to immediately look away. You know, things have changed. For some of you, you understand that. I'm ready for things to return to normal, sort of, but I've gotten in a whole new routine. I've gotten out of the routine of a good sleep schedule because there hasn't been an exercise schedule and a work schedule and everything is kind of up in the air and I feel like I've lost. Now, those aren't big losses. But then there have been some other things. This Over this last year, we had a hailstorm and we lost our roof. Mike Cochran did a great job in replacing it. But, you know, when you have insurance, there's deductibles. And so there's financial loss and loss of time. And then we had five cars. We only owned four, but we had five parked at our house because one of our kids had a friend over. And so there was a lot of damage and one of our cars was completely totaled. And then recently, my Jeep, and you know how I feel about my Jeep, that got run into from the rear end. And there's a 50-50 chance that that's been totaled. Now, that's a real loss. I, you know, really, I mean, that's a, I, I love my Jeep. I wanted to be buried in my Jeep, pointing up to heaven, so when Jesus came back, I could just put it in low gear and drive on up. You know, that's kind of the, the way I look at it. And so there's a loss. Well, there's a loss. I'm not saying that Jeeps are the best. They're just Jesus' favorite. But I digress. Anyways, so, it, so there's that loss. And in the meantime, I've been driving like this little hybrid SUV thing that's that's a foreign-made car, and it's got California license plates on it. That's a loss, okay? It's a loss. 
On top of all those losses, then you start thinking about things that are a little bit more serious. And, and I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of all the different things, but I've talked to enough people and they say, I feel like I've lost my country. I feel like we're losing our minds. Over this last year, you know, John Sullivan moved off and, uh, and we wished him well as he was leaving and then we cursed him after he was gone. But anyways, John Sullivan, good friend, love him, miss him. It's a loss. That's not to say that, you know, Alan's not doing a great job. He's a friend too and he's done an excellent job around here leading in worship. Just fantastic. But there's loss. And then you lose other friends, you know, through moving or through death. And there, there's loss. And probably one of the more painful losses is a divorce. Because it's not just the departure. It's the outright betrayal on top of departure. And when you start putting all the losses together, I, I guess there's a reason there's not a song entitled Count Your Many Losses, Name Them One by One. Because it's really, really depressing. It's, but loss is a part of life. And even if you don't lose something every single day, you can experience loss every single day. Because there's the actual loss and then there's the response to loss, which is grief. And grief can overcome you just about as easily as lying down to take a nap. I was reading an interview with Keanu Reeves and he was being asked about this character that he plays a, a character who loses a dog and doesn't respond terribly well to the loss. And he's asked, how do you play a character who goes through loss? And his explanation was pretty simple. It's very easy to warm yourself by the fires of a grief that is unseen to other people, but actually always ever present in your life. He knows loss. He lost a, a, a girlfriend uh, in a head-on car collision, I believe. It was an auto accident. Lost a daughter named Ava. There are these, there are these losses that sometimes are out of the view of other people, but they're always there. And he says, you don't really get past certain things. It's just there. There's loss. And grief takes as many forms as, as there are forms of loss. There's the grief of the single mom raising a child or children on her own. There's the grief of the, the man who is shocked by uncertainty and suddenness so that he lashes out at, at the person next to him physically, doesn't even know what he's doing or thinking in the moment. There's the army veteran, amputee, who when he reaches for the fork, rediscovers that his arm isn't there. There's the mom who goes to the cemetery and stands for a few minutes in the morning before walking on to work recognizing that half of her somehow is in the ground as half of her is somehow making it barely day by day. Grief can take the form of trying to go to bed without saying goodnight to the person who's gone. Grief is a whole cluster of adjustments, a whole cluster of changes that, that somehow threaten to keep our lives from moving forward while simultaneously keeping us from <coughs> redirecting energies in our lives. Grief is, grief is wishing desperately for things to be different, helplessly wishing that things were other than they were, knowing that they are not different and they never will be again for the rest of your life. There's loss. How do you deal with it? 
Well, that's a good question, and I think it's sort of a question that we don't ask all that commonly because we have a tendency to focus generally toward, I don't know, gaining stuff or finding stuff. But when's the last time you heard a lecture or a message or got some instruction on how to lose without losing it, how to grieve well? We think about how to find things, and I'll just give you the nutshell. G-O-O-G-L-E. That's how you find anything these days. It's easy. But how do you lose? Now, the Bible says there are different ways that you can grieve. It's implied in the very common verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. He says, I don't want you to grieve like other people who have no hope. The implication is there are multiple ways in which you can grieve. There are most, multiple ways in which you can go through your loss. And there is one way in particular that is a much more hopeful approach. So this morning, here's what we're going to do. Whatever your loss is, whether it's a friend or a job or a loss of confidence or trust, whatever the situation is, I want to lay out for you how the world typically looks at loss, at least in terms of loss management, and I want to lay out for you a more biblical approach to managing your grief, and then there's going to be an opportunity for you to choose which path you think is best. Uh, how is it that you're going to respond to your loss? And before we get into the biblical approach, so as to help us to better understand, by contrast, the biblical approach, I want to present kind of the worldly view, okay, or the typical view of our culture. It's not exactly evil. It's just not the healthiest. And I'm going to present it to you like this. I'm going to tell you a little story. It's not a true story, okay, but this will, will help unravel for you, I think, how 90% of the people in our society or in this world sort of naturally grief. There's a little kid named Herbie, five years old. He loses his dog. Didn't expect it to happen. When you're young, you never expect death to come upon you. And this is a dog that Herbie had known since he was an infant. The dog was there before he was there. And the dog was his constant companion. Slept in the bed with him. They were always together. And so when Herbie lost his dog, he lost his cool. He lost his ability to contain. He just wept, and then he would weep again. And some of us understand that. When I had a dog, uh, my, one of my first dogs, Butter, when she died, I'd just cry, and then I'd cry again. And my parents had to drive me around listening to Johnny Cash music. And Mom and Dad, love you. Appreciate you doing that. But I would just weep. Every time Johnny Cash come on, I'd think about my dog. I don't know why. just did. Well, the dad gets involved and tries to settle his son down, and he tells the son very quickly, don't feel bad. We'll get you another dog on Saturday. And in that very, very brief statement, little Herb learned two very important lessons on grief management. Bury your pain and replace your loss. Don't feel bad. Suppress your feelings. And uh, we'll get you another dog. And when we get you another dog, you'll be able to forget about the other dog. Just, we'll just replace the loss. Well, that was a pretty good lesson, he thought, and then he relearned it again, only in a much harder way, because when he was in high school, he had this girlfriend, and they were very close, and whenever he was with her, the sun was brighter, the grass was greener, the sky was bluer, and then she dumped him, and he was undone, because on this occasion, it wasn't just a dog, and we love our dogs. We, Gene and I sleep with our dogs. It makes our marriage stronger. But we love our dogs, but a dog's not the same as a human being, and he had given his heart to this person, and he had imagined in his mind that maybe, just maybe, they could spend their lives together. 
So he was crushed. His dad tried to help, and his dad once again said, Don't feel bad. There are plenty of fish in the sea. Bear your pain. Replace your loss. These were two lessons in the grief management program that he had learned pretty well, and it served him for the rest of his life. Later on, he added a little bit to his philosophy of grief management when his grandfather died. Now, this is the grandfather he was very close to. He was the grandfather that took him fishing, brought the sack lunches, would let him go swimming when the fish weren't biting, loved his grandpa. So one day in class, a note gets handed to him. He reads the note, and he, he can't hold back the tears, and he begins to sob lays his head down on his desk, can't stop crying. This makes the teacher and it makes the other students feel very uncomfortable, so the teacher tells the boy to go to the office so he can be by himself. When he gets brought home, his he sees his sister sitting there in the, the living room and she's crying, but Dad stops him from going over. He wants to go over and embrace her and cry with her, but his dad said, no, you need to leave her alone, give her some space. After a while, she'll be better and then you can talk. Translation, weep alone. Grieve by yourself. So he gets the message and he goes to his room and he cries by himself and it doesn't help. Actually, he just feels lonely. Still later, as he's reviewing his life with his grandfather and all the times they had together, he thinks, there were certain things I wish I could have said. I didn't thank my grandpa for all the things he'd done for me. And even worse, he thinks to himself, I never really said to my grandpa because I'm not that kind of person and we don't live in that kind of family, but I never told my grandpa, I love you. And he starts to think, I'm never going to be able to fix that. I'll just have to live with regret for the rest of my life. That's the fourth thing that he learns. You just have to live with regret. Well, the time goes on and in the year that follows, he tries to suppress his feelings. He tries to replace the loss. And he does this by getting very involved in athletic activities, gets really into sports. He tries to forget about his grandpa and just grits his teeth and says, I'm going to live with regret, but it's not really helping. And so months pile on top of months. And eventually he tells his dad, I feel like I'm stuck in a cell of sadness. What's going on? And then the dad gives him the fifth grief management tool. The dad says to his son, just give it time. Translation, time in and of itself heals. Just give it time. Time passes, everything will be better. Now, I hope you've been keeping track of all of this. Bury your pain. Replace your losses. Grieve alone. Learn to live with regret. Just give it time. Does that, does that sound kind of familiar. And I don't know that it's just cultural. It may just be natural for us. Well, the kid starts to think to himself, little Herb is growing up and now he's, you know, a high school senior and he thinks to himself, doing some elementary math, he begins to surmise, I'd better put up walls between myself and other people because if I make myself vulnerable, if I give myself to someone else who could disappear or fail me or disappoint me, there's a, there's a very strong possibility, if not probability, if not certainty, that my heart will be broken. And so I'm never going to give my heart to someone else because people move and they disappoint. They disappear and they fail. And so I need to put up walls. I need to put up boundaries in my life. I need to never yield myself ever entirely to another. I always need to hold something 
back. Does all that sound kind of familiar? See, now here's, here's the thing. I hope you're, you're getting at least part of the point. If you grieve and grieve well, you can at least move forward healthfully with the rest of your life. But if you grieve in the manner that comes naturally or that is more in step with our culture as a whole, however you want to look at it, all the bets are off. Because what you're left with, if you don't grieve appropriately is not just loss of something or someone. You lose you. Because you and I were made for connection. We were made for community. We were made for love. And when you refuse to swim in love, you're like a fish out of water and you lose There's a better approach. Now, I want to go through the approach that the Bible lays out for us, and it lays it out for us in a whole host of different ways. I'm just going to look at a few scriptures, but let's think through God's particular program for grief management. And it just stands in stark contrast to the way the world does it. And the first thing is this. You've got to feel your feelings. You don't bury your feelings. God says, feel your feelings, express your feelings. You don't stuff it. Minimize it, discount it. Some things, if you're going to work through them, you have to embrace them wholeheartedly without reservation, and that is especially the case with grief. Now, I know that there is this impression sometimes around places of worship that, well, you know, Christians never get sad. Okay, whatever. I don't know where you got that from the Bible. You don't get it from Jesus. Jesus, when he wept, he wept full on. This is not a weep little bitty, you know, or whatever. I'm just trying to be sympathetic. Now, Jesus wept as much as a person could possibly weep. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, Grieve, not as those who have no hope, but don't grieve like the rest of men. But here's what you do. You still grieve. There's still a place for the embrace of the weeping. Because crying is the language of the soul, or put a little bit differently, it's a, it's a, a river of emotional cleansing. And what you see with Jesus is full-on weeping, mourning, engagement. And I think for some of us, what we need to hear, and you don't have to weep all the time, okay? And you don't have to do it in front of other people all the time. I'm not saying that. But for some of us, here's what we need to hear. If Jesus, the Holy Son of God, who's without sin, could absolutely full-on weep, mourn, embrace the loss, well, so too you and me. And that's the second thing I want us to think through, and that is... You not only feel your feelings, you also review the loss. You don't avoid the loss. You review it. You understand it. Sometimes people get in this this mindset of, I just need to get past the sadness as fast as I can. I need to just sort of turn the page and move on. And I don't need to think about that. And, And actually, what I would advise people to do sometimes is just, you need to feel the loss. You need to enter into the pain. Let me put it to you like this. And you may understand this a little bit better with regards to forgiveness. Maybe somebody does something wrong, they run over your cat, and they say, I'm sorry. And then you might have a tendency to do what a lot of Americans do, and that is to say, oh, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. You know what you've, done? You, you know what you've just done? You've been nice, but you haven't forgiven. You say, what do you mean? If you minimize the damage that was done or the hurt that was done to you or the offense that was done to you, you haven't forgiven at all. You've avoided 
If you're going to fully forgive, you need to fully understand or fully acknowledge the offense that was done to you. Blowing things off is blowing things off. It's not forgiveness. And when it comes to truly grieving in a way that is helpful, you have to acknowledge fully the loss that you have received. Look at Jesus. Jesus goes, not just goes to the funeral, Jesus shows up, is told about what's going on, and then he walks straight up to the tomb. Not only does he go up to the tomb and get nearby, the stone gets rolled away and the stench is overwhelming. Jesus steps full on into the midst of the morning of death. He doesn't have to do that. He could have healed from a distance. Remember the whole story about the, the uh, centurion, that the daughter, the, 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 the centurion comes to Jesus, says, my daughter's sick. Jesus says, okay, I'll heal her. And the centurion says, you don't need to bother. You don't need to move. Just say the word should be healed. And sure enough, Jesus does. I don't know if it's a 10 miles away, 20 miles away. It doesn't matter. Jesus didn't have to be there at the tomb. He could have been over in Jerusalem and healed Lazarus at Bethany. But he enters into the situation. He enters into other people's mourning. And he steps close. He doesn't get on a cruise ship around the Sea of Galilee. He doesn't go to the mountains for a retreat. He feels the loss. He senses the loss. He weighs the loss. Now, some people say, well, he was mourning for the other people. He was mourning for the reality of death. Maybe he wasn't mourning for himself. I don't know how you look at it, but Jesus mourned. Jesus wept. Feel your feelings. Review the loss. And then number three, you grieve with others. Now, that's pretty obvious here because that's what you do with regards to a funeral. But there are so many things in the Bible that talk about, you know, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. We're very into one another ministry and entering into the pain and the suffering of other people. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Where do you think the comfort comes? It comes within community. Jesus, when he's at the hour of his death and he's about to go to the cross, you remember what he does? He calls Peter, James, and John and says, you've got to come with me. I need you to be in my presence. I need you to pray for me. Now, they kind of fail. They fall short. But Jesus, the perfect Holy Son of God, wants people there in the midst of his suffering and difficulty. And, and I will tell you what I told the first service, and that is we have a really easy time in entering into the difficulties and pains of other people. I think that most of us do. Where most of us have a tendency to fall short is not in receiving from other people what it is that they want to give. We have a good, easy time of giving comfort, but we're not necessarily so terribly vulnerable to receiving it all the time. If Jesus, the Holy Son of God, says, I need to receive the comfort of your presence and your prayers, we need to do the same. Apparently, the disciples learn this, this uh, whole program. They get this whole piece of the puzzle because after Jesus is crucified, but before they know about the resurrection, what are they doing? They're all gathered together in community together, grieving, when the knock comes on the door and says, Jesus is, is risen. You don't grieve by yourself. You grieve in community. Which, by the way, let me just kind of mention this kind of as a side note. We help one another. Jesus says, you know one another by, you know that you belong to me by your love. John chapter 13, I think verse, I don't even know what the verse, you can go read the whole chapter. You'll find it. It's in there. Uh, the reason I bring that up is, you know, we, we are a part of a community here, but we're a part of a greater community of churches. And over the last couple of weeks, when all of the frozen, whatever that is, Snowbid 19 hit or Snowbid 21 hit, uh, there were some pipes that burst. We didn't have any problems here at the church, and I was really worried about this because we have flat roofs. I thought we're going to have, you know, lots of ice and lots of snow, and things are going to cave in. Nothing happened. No pipes, pipes burst. Praise the Lord. But there were other churches with regards to their facilities, and that happened. 
Uh, I, call, I reached out to a couple that I knew about, and one of the churches in particular, they can't use their space for two to three months. It's not a Southern Baptist church, but we did say, hey, can you at least agree with regards to our doctrinal statement, Baptist faith and message on the Bible, God, Jesus, salvation, and they looked at it and said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're good. And so starting next week, there's another church, uh, Family Bible Fellowship, meets over near Bob's Catfish. They're going to be using our facilities on Sunday afternoons from 1 o'clock on, and that's over across the street. So if you see people coming and going and say, who are these people? That's what's going on uh, because we want to love them in a practical way, and this building isn't yours. It's not mine. It belongs to Jesus. And, uh, and you know, we, we, uh, we recognize that there are people who are in a relationship with him, who love him, who don't have to come to this church or even be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Okay, so hope you're good with that. And if you're not, oh, too bad. Well, you know, sorry. That's what it is. Uh, so, okay, you, you feel your feelings. You uh, review the losses. You grieve with others. And then, number four, you express regrets and move on. Now, it does seem a little bit weird. Well, I guess if it's, you know, if, if I wasn't able to say I love you or kind of finish some unfinished business, it's too late. And actually, God's word would disagree with that. And, and, here's, and here's what I mean. There's this really interesting verse. It's over in uh, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 8. Insofar as it is possible with you, be at peace with other people. What that means is sometimes because of the person on the other end, whether their foolishness or their absence, you're not able to reconcile like you would like. But insofar as it is possible with you, you can be at peace. You can be clean. And sometimes, for some of us, what we need to do is lay the little backpack of regret down and do our best to confess what we need to confess, to apologize for what we need to apologize for, or to forgive insofar as we need to forgive. You can do that by writing a letter. You can do that by talking to the Lord. You can do that by involving other people in community. But the reality is, if there are regrets, you do not have to live with those things. You can take them to the Father. You can deal with that between you, God, and this other individual, even if the individual, other individuals not in the room or not interested in a relationship. There's a fifth thing, and we'll close on this. You've got to recognize only God will heal. Time does not. Time, space-time is broken. Broken things cannot heal broken things. This world has had sin enter in and the only natural progression of time is not necessarily in or at all in a healing direction. It's the second law of thermodynamics. But that's getting a little heavy. We'll get back to the next second. But just think about God. When you think about God, God is the one who heals. God is our comforter in the presence of the Holy Spirit. God is the comforter. When it comes to the Son, He is the one who brings healing to every body and soul. And when it comes to the Father, He is oftentimes called Jehovah Rapha. He's the God who heals. God is the healer in the Bible. You will never one time ever see time as somehow inherently being the healer. In fact, that's not true. Just think about your own experience. I'll give you a personal illustration here. Years ago, I went to youth camp. This is back, you know, before uh, COVID and all the rest. We used to do these camp things, which was a lot of fun. And, and I went with these kids to a camp where there were ropes courses, which is cool. On this one run in particular, there is a rope that's hanging out, and it's hanging out over a mat that was not really too far below, like, I don't know, let's say 50 feet, something like that, anyway, or maybe five. I can't remember. <laughs> Anyways, you have to run and jump out to grab the rope. 
And I'm thinking, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to hang on, and I'm not going to let go of this. These other kids, ha, 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 they're trying and they're failing. Not me. I'm almost 50. It's going to be different. You know? Okay, you can, you can recognize where this is going. So I, I run and I jump and I grab and I do not let go. And because I will not let go, my hand breaks. No kidding. Actually, just the, a couple of fingers literally become dislocated so that I cannot hang on to the rope. And they look so nasty. Uh, and, and, but, you know, I didn't cry. It didn't hurt. And it looked bad. And Rachel Ballard was there at the time. And Rachel has her camera. It's like, you've got to take a picture of this. And so she took multiple pictures. And none of them turned out, which, was, which made me really, really angry. But I know that Rachel and Brad continue to watch the services or listen to the services. So right now, Rachel, I want to tell you, you did me wrong, but I forgive you. Okay, now that we're past that, it was messed up. Went to the shack, you know, ran over there, jogged over there to the, the medical tent or the medical shack, whatever that was. And they couldn't put my fingers back into place. So I got frustrated and I did it myself. It hurt. Still didn't cry, just so you know. And actually, after I stuck them back into place, like that feels, it feels okay. You know, I could bend them. It's, it's fine. And then, here's what I thought. Time's going to heal this. I don't need to take my fingers to a doctor. I can do this myself, and time's going to make things right. Let me tell you something. My fingers still don't extend all the way, and they still don't bend all the way. You know, there's a reason we have doctors. Doctors heal. Physicians heal. Time does not heal. You have an unaddressed issue and you say, oh, I'm just going to let it go. How's that work out for the majority of people? Not so well. God is the great physician. He's the great healer. You think you're going to take your emotional baggage and you're just going to bury it deep down inside, forget about it, and everything's going to be fine? No. That is not how it works. Ever. I have never, ever, ever, ever seen somebody take emotional pain and they bury it. And all of a sudden, magically, they're just wonderful healed people. And they enjoy being around other people and they're just a joy to be around. It does not work that way. They're bitter and angry. You know why? Time not only does not heal, it makes things worse if the situation is unaddressed. Yeah, I can still use my fingers. But you know what? Now, in order to fix it, I have to have some sort of surgery. And as long as this goes unaddressed one of these days... Probably because of the scar tissue, I'm going to have some, you know, arthritis set in and all the rest. Time doesn't make things better on its own. Used to be, about 50 years ago, industrialists thought, we'll just take our toxic waste and bury it. Problem solved. Then years later, people figured it's gotten into the well water, and now all of the plants are dying, the crops are dying, the cows are dying, people are being toxified. Same thing happens on a subconscious level. You take your pain your unaddressed issues, your, your grief that was minimized so you didn't think you needed to grieve and you just went on about it and it was all their fault and you didn't have any role to play and time was just going to make it better and take care of itself. That is, that is leading your life to an absolute and utter disaster. Time does not heal. You've got to bring it to God. Which, by the way, speaking of healing, you go back over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and there the Apostle Paul says, don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. And specifically what Paul is thinking about is the restoration of all things. He's thinking about the return of Christ, how up there comes down here, 
And those who are dead in Christ and those who are alive in Christ are absolutely and utterly reunited and all things are made new. Better than new. Space-time is broken. God heals it all. And if you're looking forward to that, then you can move forward healthfully. But people who can only look backward, they get stuck. You take it to God, you give it to God, and you wait on the Lord in an active capacity. That's good grief. Okay, so here, here are the options. It's pretty clear. You're going to bury your feelings or feel your feelings? Are you going to grieve alone? Are you going to grieve in community with the Lord? Are, are you going to just somehow try to replace your losses? Are you going to review your losses and feel the loss that's actually happened to you? Are you going to live with regret? Are you going to do the work of forgiveness and letting go and even in some cases confession? Are you just going to avoid, avoid, avoid and let time take care of it? Or are you going to give it to the Lord? Which option seems better to you? I said something to, to some people. This, I didn't mean it to come across poorly. I know I had a couple leave the church some time back. Because I simply explained, look, the reason, and I, I don't want you to take this poorly, but I'm just going to put it out there because it's true. The reason you're bitter or stuck or angry isn't because your Jeep got totaled or because this person did this and that to you. You know why you're angry and stuck and bitter? It's your response to your loss. It all comes down to your response. It's on you. Now, why did I bring all this up today? Well, there's all kinds of loss. Some of us are aware of our own. Some of us are aware of some others. And one of the things that I've been grieving over for the last month is some things that were explained to me. Uh, it was about a month ago. Mark, why don't you come on up here? Uh, talking about grief and grievous people. Uh, Mark actually has uh, got some things to share with regards to the way the Lord's been leading him in his life, and uh, when it comes to uh, to loss, uh, this is one of those uh, for me. But I'll let Mark explain a little bit more to you. God does some... Oh, hey, that one's a little bit louder. Sorry. God does some uh, wonderful things in our lives, and he moves us in directions that sometimes we uh, we don't expect. Um, and when we say yes to God, sometimes things go, and we become a, in a whirlwind of emotions. And God has definitely been working in my life uh, and has moved me into the next chapter of ministry. He has called me to be the pastor uh, First Baptist Church in Gatesville, Texas. And so I have resigned as youth, youth pastor and moving on into this next chapter. And I got to say, one of the things uh, up there, uh, I was told by one of the deacons, um, that I've heard of letters of recommendation, but I've never heard of a pastor of recommendation. Pastor Ernest took it upon himself to drive up there last week for my view of a call, 
uh, and to speak to the congregation of who I was and what God has done in my life. And uh, that just means the world to me. It's my family. And Main Street is our church family. Um, It will always be a part of our life. It will always be. Y'all will always be a special part of my heart. Over the five years I've been here, uh, all the stuff we've been through, uh, I will cherish every single moment. And you guys, even before I came on staff here, even though I was serving in other churches, this was my church family. And I kept coming back and back. And I will miss you guys very much. And I'm going to ask you to take over, otherwise I'm going to... All right. Mark, you're going to the nursery uh, and... Uh... All right, Mark, going back to the nursery and cry by yourself. <laughs>